This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, we made history on Media Buzz yesterday. One of my guests, Jim Garrity of National Review, mimicking Trump, said, the judge is a duty head. And everybody cracked up. And I said, I don't think you could say that on television. We may have to bleep that. Of course, we couldn't believe it because we're live. Um, all the segments are online, not just that one. Most of the segments are online. If you missed the show, hope you had a good weekend. You know, a couple of hours after I got home, following Media Buzz yesterday, uh, I saw the sad news about the passing of Rosalind Carter former first lady, and literally within two minutes, I got a message from Fox saying, can you come on and do a phone interview? And I did, and, you know, as somebody who had, you know, as a very young reporter, um, had covered the Carter campaign at times, had covered the Carter convention, uh, and had watched those four years as a journalist, uh, you know, I heap praise on her because she was an amazing, wonderful woman and first lady. And then, you know, a lot of people didn't like Jimmy Carter's presidency. Uh, he was not reelected. We had the Iranian hostage crisis and inflation and all of that. But she also was part, a lifelong partner of Jimmy Carter, in his post-presidency. Uh, so I had a lot to say about that on the spur of the moment. Uh, here's the New York Times obit. Most politically active first lady at the time since Eleanor Roosevelt dying in planes. And that's another thing I talked about. Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter were from this tiny town that none of us had ever heard of, Plains, Georgia. And they went back there repeatedly when he was president because, you know, they were, in a way, very humble people of faith. They wanted to be surrounded by their neighbors and friends. And that small-town Southern hospitality was sort of embedded in them. Here's what I didn't know from this obit. Um, Rosalind was delivered by Jimmy Carter's mother, who was a nurse. And then a few days later... She took Jimmy to Rosalind's house. He peeked into the cradle. <laughs> what a scene that was. Um, Jimmy Carter called her almost an equal extension of myself. Both were frugal. Both could be stubborn. And after Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter, they, uh, he and Rosalind traveled the world in support of human rights democracy and health programs. Domestically, they labored in service to others uh, with the uh, housing group that they founded, Habitat for Humanity. When Jimmy Carter was president, 
I don't remember this at all. Rosalind Carter frequently attended cabinet meetings. And she traveled abroad to meet heads of state. And those were labeled substantive visits. She often sat down on NSC briefings. Sat in, I should say. Um, today, in this polarized atmosphere, if uh, First Lady attended cabinet meetings, there would be an uproar from ideologues of the other party. Uh, in her memoir, she wrote, I was more political partner than a political wife. That was a reference to when Jimmy Carter was governor of Georgia. He was a one-term governor of Georgia who came out of nowhere uh, to win the Iowa caucuses and became president. And that's what boosted the... Uh, everybody else tried to pull a Carter in subsequent Iowa contests. All right, Jimmy Carter, an interview as president. He... Uh, uh, when I come home very discouraged, she listens to only just a few words, and she looks around at me and says that I've got a problem with this or that. She knows enough about the background of that problem that I don't have to sit for two hours and explain it to her. Tom Wicker, New York Times columnist, wrote that Mrs. Carter may be the most powerful first lady since Edith Wilson took over for a stricken president, Woodrow Wilson. A happy 81st birthday to Joe Biden today. I don't think they're having a big celebration for obvious reasons. And I always know when Joe Biden's birthday is because uh, he shares a birthday with one of my daughters, who I've said this before on the podcast. Uh, when she was in elementary school, she wrote a poem about Joe, Joe Biden since they had uh, shared the same birthday. And... Uh, it was put on the wall for, you know, like parents' night or something. And one of the other parents who worked at the White House took it to the White House where Biden was then vice president. And he wrote her a nice handwritten note back. She don't, most seven or eight-year-olds don't get. Um, very sad for Taylor Swift after one of her fans died of heat exhaustion um, in South America. And she has canceled, she's been so deeply affected by this, although obviously it wasn't her fault, that she's canceled some of her tour dates. Uh, and that says a lot about Taylor Swift. So, I mentioned late last week that Carissa Thompson, who's a host of Thursday Night Football on Amazon, went on this podcast and said that she used to make up quotes from coaches. She said that coaches often give generic responses. She'd simply make up the quotes if she couldn't get a hold of the coach before going on television. And she said it was harmless because, you know, they would only state the obvious. I said at the time, I'm probably the only person who cares about this, but I was wrong. A whole bunch of um, sports journalists came down on her. CBS's Tracy Wolfson, upsetting on so many levels. This is absolutely not okay, not the norm. I take my job seriously. I hold myself accountable. I build trust with coaches. Oh, Molly McGrath says, this is not normal ethical. Coaches and players trust us with sensitive information. And if they know you're dishonest and don't take your role seriously, you've lost all trust and 
credibility. Michelle Tafoya. Honestly, this makes me sad. Chris is a nice person, but this is professional fraud. So, with that kind of backlash, she went on Instagram and she tried to take it back. Working in the media, I understand how important words are. I chose the wrong words to describe the situation. I'm sorry. I've never lied about anything or been unethical during my time as a sportscaster. She said she would merely report her own observations if she couldn't speak to a coach. Well, which is it? When she didn't think this was going to be some huge deal, it was just a kind of a intriguing story, she said she made up quotes and attributed them to coaches. Now she says she didn't do that. She was either lying then or lying now. And I think she was telling the truth before. Story number one. Videos released by the Israeli military show a tunnel under Al-Shifa Hospital. Now, we haven't been able to go into that tunnel. We don't know what it leads to. Obviously, the Israelis believe it leads to one of those Hamas underground networks. But since... It's probably booby-trapped, and they haven't gone down there. Israel hasn't been able to prove it. Gaza denies it, which I should say Hamas denies it. The military released two videos, one of which was filmed by a drone lowered into this, and it shows a, a metal spiral staircase. Longer video starts out above ground and shows the descent into a cloister-like tunnel with utility cables. That door had a firing hole in it. But here's the absolute proof, in my view, which is that the Israeli soldiers were able to get the security camera footage from October 7th, the day that Hamas launched that horrifying, brutal, and devastating attack against innocent Israelis and took 240 civilian hostages. Well, that October 7th footage showed there were hostages in the hospital. Period. End of story. And then, of course, once Israel and the IDF had surrounded the Al-Shifa hospital, largest one in Gaza. There were two dead hostages, not that far from the building. By the way, many wounded patients have left. That was their decision allowed by uh, Israel. Israel, The Israelis have also brought um, food and medical supplies to the building, fuel that was rejected, but hostages in the building. So those who say that Hamas uses Palestinians in Gaza as human shields, embeds some of its military leaders and command and control centers in children's schools and other hospitals, and kept hostages At this hospital, oh, Moss is saying, no, 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 this is just a medical facility. Nothing to do with the war. Well, I think that's now been definitively disproven. Number two, Elon Musk. You know, every day, this story has gotten worse for the owner of X. Every single day. 
more advertisers have pulled out after he endorsed a blatantly anti-Semitic tweet by some rando which said that Israel, Jewish communities is what it said, have a hatred of white people. We talked about this on the show yesterday. Now, along, and you know, Musk tried to backtrack, but not really. I mean, he said, oh, I shouldn't have said all Jewish communities. And then he went off to the, after the ADL, which he said does perpetuate anti-white racism. He has gone after the Anti-Defamation League before. So the Washington Post says that the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that Jews are causing the replacement of white people, I'll just add for the record that uh, many Jewish people are white, uh, was ricocheting off the, uh, across the internet once again. The Israel-Gaza war and the loosening of content moderation on X have propelled it to unprecedented levels, coinciding with a dramatic rise in real-world attacks on Jews. Since October 7th, anti-Semitic content on Twitter has surged more than 900%, and there's been more than 1,000% of real-world anti-Semitic attacks, vandalism, harassment, according to the ADL. Highest number the group has ever recorded. Now, there's increasingly had been a feeling of empowerment that some neo-Nazis felt during the Trump presidency. The decline of enforcement on tech platforms in the face of layoffs and Republican criticism. But Musk plays a uniquely potent role in the drama disinformation specialists say. His comments amplifying anti-Semitic tropes to his 163 million followers. His dramatic loosening of standards for what can be posted and his boosting of voices that previously had been banned from the platform all have made anti-Semitism more acceptable on what is still one of the world's most influential social media platforms. Now, this is the Washington Post um, which doesn't particularly like Elon Musk. In fact, much of the so-called liberal media don't like Elon Musk. And they think he's, you know, become an extreme conservative. I don't agree. I have defended Elon Musk many times. But I can't defend him on this one. I mean, this was a monumentally dumb thing to do. And I just don't think it's going to be like other times when Elon Musk said something that was really provocative or really inflammatory or that a lot of people just didn't like. Because you have, as I've mentioned, Apple and Comcast and Disney and IBM all halting their advertising on Twitter. And the White House issued this blistering statement, it is unacceptable, speaking of Musk, to repeat the hideous lie behind the most fatal act of anti-Semitism in American history, let alone one month after the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. We condemn this abhorrent promotion 
of anti-Semitic and racist hate in the strongest terms which runs against our core values as Americans. Um, Musk is blaming Media Matters for this, the um, left-wing advocacy group that goes after conservative media, including Fox. He said he will sue Media Matters today. I haven't seen the lawsuit yet, if indeed he follows through. And the reason is that Media Matters highlighted what Musk had said on Twitter, and Musk argues that that's what led uh, to the advertisers, the major corporate advertisers that have pulled out. But he's the one who posted it. And it's just one of those situations where he only has himself to blame. He didn't have to get into this. He didn't have to endorse that tweet. And whether I'm right or wrong, we'll see whether this is a turning point for Twitter. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Story number three. Retired General John Kelly, who was Donald Trump's second chief of staff, is the lead of this story in the Washington Post, another story warning about the dangers of Trump. New York Times and Washington Post almost in competition for who can publish the most uh, alarming pieces about the potential of a Trump second term, taking it more seriously now because right now, an NBC poll confirmed this yesterday, a first NBC poll in which Trump has been leading Biden in a general election matchup. He certainly has been leading Biden in, in other polls in a general election matchup, you know, a year from today, understandably. So General Kelly says, what's good, what's going on in the country, that a single person thinks this guy would still be a good president when he said th- the things he said and the, done the things he's done, it's beyond my comprehension. He has the support he has. The retired four-star said he didn't know what to do to help people see it his way. I came out and told people the awful awful things he said about wounded soldiers, and it didn't have half a day's bounce. You had his attorney general, Bill Barr, come out, and not a half a day's bounce. If anything, his numbers go up. It might even move the needle in the wrong direction. I think we're in a dangerous zone for our country. So the thesis of this piece is this. No president has ever attracted more public detractors who were formerly in his inner circle. Among them are his former vice president, who just left the race, top military advisors, lawyers, some members of his cabinet, economic advisors, press officials, and campaign aides, some of whom are working for other candidates. So far, Trump has surged toward the GOP nomination, even as former aides critical of him have blanketed the airwaves, CNN and MSNBC happy to put them on, giving scathing speeches, testifying on camera in front of congressional committees and penning books, shaking off the kinds of condemnation that could mortally wound another politician. Okay, here's the response from Donald Trump's spokesman. 
These media whores, he sort of speaks in the lingo of Trump, these media whores are always looking for the next grift, whether it's book deals or cable news contracts, because they know their entire worth as human beings revolve around talking about President Trump. They clearly don't own any mirrors, because if they did, they would not be able to look at themselves every day knowing what they're doing, doing is hurting the country. These charlatans are disgusting and should be wholly ignored. But the Washington Post piece does make a valid point, because you also have former Trump lawyers who have now pleaded guilty in the Georgia case, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, uh, saying very damaging things about the man they work for. Now, it's almost hard for me to believe that Donald Trump said this at a rally over the weekend, because everybody's forgotten about it. Most people didn't take it seriously at the time, and he brings it up, which of course means people are going to write about it now. It has to do with um, one of the, probably the most salacious claim in the highly discredited Steele dossier. And Trump is mocking this. He said, you know, they were saying things about him like, he was with four hookers. You think that was a good night that night? To grow up and tell my wife, it's not true, darling. I love you very much. It's not true. Actually, that one she didn't believe because she said, he's a germaphobe. He's not into that. He is not into golden showers, as they say. They call it. He's not. I don't think I ever used that term in anything I wrote or said on the air. You know, it became known as the P-tape and everybody sort of got it. But I never believed it for half a second. And therefore, I didn't want to give it oxygen. Trump goes on to say, I thought that would be a big problem. I was going to have a rough night. But that one, she was very good on. She said, you're okay on that one. Sort of an implication there that there were other things that Melania Trump was not very good on, but on that one she was. Okay, Nikki Haley, getting a lot of positive press, as I've mentioned. So here's New York Times columnist, conservative Russ Douthat, saying, well, could she really win? What would have to happen? She's in second place in New Hampshire, tied with DeSantis in Iowa, leading Joe Biden by more than either DeSantis or Trump in national polls. Big donors are going her way. So, how would she do it? To be clear, uh, she's not polling anywhere close to the highs DeSantis had during his stint as the Trump slayer. And Douthat says, you see in the uh, latest Iowa poll that her own voters would mostly go to DeSantis if she were to drop out. But if DeSantis drops out, a lot of his voters would go to Trump. Credit where it's due. Haley has knocked out Tim Scott, passed Christie, challenged DeSantis, uh, appealing and charismatic leader who can pick public fights and come out the winner, at least when Vivek Ramaswamy is your foil. So what you'd have to do is win outright in New Hampshire. The difficulty is that even on the upswing, she's trailing Trump 46 to 19 percent. I mean, you know, these are unheard of leads. That's the real clear politics average. But assume that Christie drops out and his support swings her way. Assume that the current polling underestimates how many independents vote 
in the uh, New Hampshire primary. That is true, and they are a big factor. Assume a slight sag for Trump, a little last-minute Nikki Mentum, and you could see her, you know, edging Trump, 42 to 40. He's making up the number. Then assume that defeat forces Trump to actually debate in the long February lull until the next big contest in Haley's own South Carolina. Assume the frontrunner comes across as some combination of rusty and insane. Not a big Trump fan. Haley handles him coolly and then wins her home state. Assume polls still show her beating Biden. Fox News has rallied to her fully. Endorsements flood in. And finally, finally, enough voters who like Trump because he's a winner swing her way to clear a path to the nomination. Newly elected Speaker Mike Johnson, and this got way overshadowed in the flood of news on Friday. He released a trove of tapes about the Capitol riot, from the Capitol riot. The January 6th tapes contain more than 40,000 hours of security footage. Now, and Johnson said he didn't release about 5% of the total. No, that 5% is being censored to protect sensitive security information relating to the building's architecture. So you'll remember that Kevin McCarthy released these tapes to Tucker Carlson and then said he was going to release them to the entire media later and never did. So early in his tenure... Johnson puts them out. Anybody can access them. And he says millions of Americans, criminal defendants, public interest organizations, and the media uh, will have an ability to see for themselves what happened that day rather than having to rely on the interpretation of a small group of government officials. Well, obviously, and I've seen some of this on the air online, obviously, you can cull from the 40,000 hours Um, there were instances in which once the barricades had been breached where police officers let the uh, protesters in, you can have innocuous footage of protesters just, you know, walking down the hall. But that doesn't mean that a majority of the footage doesn't show violence, doesn't show attacks, doesn't show... um, you know, protesters going into Nancy Pelosi's office, hoping to find her there. Remember, these, these, some of these were the people who chanted, hang Mike Pence. So it's 40,000 hours, but you can selectively edit it. And I think it was a good move by Johnson, a smart move. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. CNN was the first to report this. Story number four, special counsel prosecutors are using an L.A. grand jury to seek documents and possible testimony from multiple witnesses as part of their investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings, according to people familiar. James Biden, the president's brother and a one-time business associate of Hunter, is among the people who have received a subpoena in recent weeks. This sounds like serious stuff. Obviously, the probe is of Hunter, but could expand. 
to other Biden family members, seems to be focused on Hunter Biden's failure to pay taxes by the IRS deadline. I mean, that's a fact. And it's something that he was ready to plead to when, and did plead to when he was thought he was going to get a sweetheart deal and no jail time. So the special counsel, you know, sounds like this is a serious investigation. Unclear if any of these witnesses have appeared in person. This is a fascinating development as far as Hunter. London Roberts, his former assistant, who gave birth to their daughter Navy Joan in 2018 and has kind of stayed out of the limelight, now writes that, you know, she's had difficulties with him. They had a prolonged child support battle. But now she's telling her side of the story, which is she says 100% behind Hunter's recovery and his determination to become the loving father figure that all five of his children deserve. Yes, he's led a privileged life, but Hunter has also lived in the public eye with political opponents, uh, she writes, who seize upon his mistakes and use his addiction against him. Honestly, I've had a taste of that myself. But the hurtful things that have been written about me are nothing in comparison to how Hunter has been portrayed. One day soon, Navy Joan Enough is going to be old enough to search the internet, seeing the countless newspaper articles dedicated to her father's transgressions, and I cannot fathom how she may feel. I have no desire to add to that. What kind of mom would want to pour more fuel on the fire? I've seen what addiction can do to people, and I think it's cruel the way he is covered. So that's uh, praise from an unexpected source. Now, story number five. You may not know, it's not a household name, who Sam Altman is, but your life is affected by Sam Altman, who was the most common, prominent, I should say, co-founder of OpenAI the company that developed artificial intelligence to the point that it was able to put out chatbot GPT and completely upend and change the tech world. Now, I'm going to do this in chronological order because it's such a bizarre story. So, out of the blue, nowhere, he's the CEO of OpenAI and his chatbots are being used by people around the world and suddenly... He gets fired by the board, actually four remaining board members. And this has been a catastrophe, a fiasco, a travesty for OpenAI because it never really explained why he was firing this, this brilliant guy who developed this, these incredible AI tools. It just said it had lost confidence in his ability to lead the com- company. Following a deliberate review process by the board, which concluded he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board. Okay, that might be a reason to get rid of your CEO, but not one example. And I thought, you know, it's got to be on some level a personality clash. These directors, these remaining directors just didn't like him. So the backlash was so intense, particularly from OpenAI's partners, such as Microsoft, which invested $13 billion in OpenAI when it was founded some years ago. Elon Musk also was an investor. 
So after that, sources said that a lot of the partners and others, the backlash was so intense that the board members said, said open talks with Sam Altman to bring him back. So they fire him, no explanation. I mean, this is just a way to blow up your company's credibility. And they said, oops, and asked him or were negotiating with him about the possibility to come back, Microsoft leading the pressure campaign. Uh, there's some hints from some reporters who know the tech world that Altman's pursuit of profits and his growing ambitions to build a world-spanning consumer business, according to the New York Times, triggered concerns among some employees that the company had abandoned its founding principles to be a counterweight to big tech. Greg Brockman, also a co-founder of OpenAI, who was chairman of the board, he quit in solidarity with Altman. Uh, no, I, I'm sorry. I, initial reports said he quit. This follow-up story says he was removed by the board. And he, he came out and he tweeted and said this was stunning, that he didn't see it coming, that Sam Altman didn't see it coming. And then, you know, there were follow-up stories about this one uh, board member, Ilya Sutskiver, also a co-founder, that he was the one who led the effort to dump Sam Altman. Then the negotiations to bring him back. But they couldn't agree on terms. So the remaining... And the director who led the charge apologized I shouldn't have done this. I regret it. So guess what? Sam Altman is very employable. And now he's gotten a new job. The job is with Microsoft. Said it was hiring both of them, Altman and Brockman, the former chairman of the board of uh, OpenAI. Oh, there was a, a co-founder who quit in solidarity with Altman. I just conflated the two. They will lead an advanced research lab at Microsoft. Uh, its CEO, Satya Nadella, said Altman would be chief executive of the new research lab, quote, setting a new pace for innovation in apparent contrast to the OpenAI board's desire for caution in developing AI technology. So who's the winner here? Sam Altman. The company was never able to explain or chose not to explain. I think it was a bunch of personality clashes myself, maybe a philosophical divide, but you don't fire the guy with little public explanation um, because you have a different philosophy and a couple of the directors don't like him. Unbelievable. So, he will basically run his own show at Microsoft, developing even more technology. He's come out on top. His former company looks ridiculous. If you're going to fire a high-profile CEO, you better fully explain the reasons to the public, or you look like you have terrible judgment, and you failed 
to even, you know, this is PR 101. You're going to do it. You have to explain it. It can't be like, oh, uh, he wasn't candid and communications had become difficult. That's corporate speak. Well, I think the reason is they couldn't come up with a good reason. Because there wasn't a good reason. And now OpenAI has lost the services of Sam Altman and Microsoft plans to turn them loose. Hey, once again, hope you had a good weekend. Once again, you can check out the Media Buzz segments online, including the infamous Duty Head segment. I can't get over it. I'm still laughing at it. Jim is a funny guy, Jim Garrity. I will see you all tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear Podcast, featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.